Welcome everyone to the second episode of The Teacher Project. This is your host, RT. This second episode is going to go through a few different topics, which I think are all sort of related to one another, um, but you'll just hear my opinions on those things, my honest takes, and maybe my outlandish views about these certain topics. But before I get into that, um, I do kind of want to recap the first episode of The Teacher Project, which is all about this idea of pivoting based on reflection. So if you listen to the first episode, I, I talked about having to pivot very recently based on this new endeavor that I'm, that I'm taking, which is a, a middle school science teacher. And this year I decided that I wanted to try out a self-paced structure where I'm having students learn at a pace that's suitable to them and you know, making sure that they're building their own unique knowledge bases. Well, it worked for some, it didn't work for all. And I decided that I needed to pivot. I needed to make a change and I needed to take a little bit more control back. And, you know, I still want students to have freedom, but I don't know if they were able to operate with the amount of freedom that I was giving them. You know, they just didn't have the the skills and maybe the the drive that I thought that they would have or that I think that they need to really thrive in that environment. So again, I had to pivot. And the difficult part about pivoting here is I had to transition away from this. And what made that difficult was obviously based on this self-paced structure, I had some students that were way ahead of others. So how do I go about getting all students up to speed? So what I decided was and what I, what I designed was a teacher topic. So what students are doing is they're creating mini lessons that they will then teach to the students or their classmates to, for some, maybe review stuff that's already been learned, but for others, they get an opportunity to learn that for the first time. And I think it's good for both groups of students, those students that were ahead and those students that were you know, behind the others, because again, those students that were behind they're getting exposure to that to that material, but then for those that were ahead, they're still they're still engaged. They're still critically thinking about the best way that they can get others to learn this particular topic or this particular material. So we'll see how it goes. I've never done something like this before. It could be a dumpster fire, just like the self-paced structure was. So I'll keep you posted on that. But anyway, back to episode two here. Um, you know, through my doctoral studies, I have been exposed to a lot of different ideas. And one of the most striking things to me is just how much education has stayed the same, but how much it needs to move in a different direction. And I think there's no place where that's more evident than with grading and assessment. You know, a lot of people who aren't in education, they're very familiar with like a percentage-based grading system or a points-based grading system. And within those systems, you know, you have your very traditional type assessments where you're being assessed on your ability to memorize things and to recall things that were learned in a particular unit. You know, and for those of us that are in education, we know that there's countless other grading systems. There's your grading buckets or your categories systems, you have your mastery grading systems, and you have your standards-based systems. 
but within all of these systems, you still have the same sort of memory-based assessments. And, you know, this is where I have an issue. Because a good grade in these systems does not always equate to a deep understanding. Grading to me and grades themselves make the practice of learning far too objective. Whereas acquiring knowledge and, and actually showing understanding is incredibly subjective because we're all unique individuals. And, you know, even the word understanding in and of itself is almost indescribable. I mean, what, is, what does understanding really mean? Well, it means something different to every single person. So why do we grade? Well, there's two very obvious reasons. One is we report to parents. Parents want an understanding of how their kid's doing. They want to see if their kid is successful. They want to see if their kid's unsuccessful. But once again, what are we determining to be successful? Are we saying that little Johnny who crammed a couple hours before the test and gets an A, we're saying that's successful? Or are we saying that a kid that turns in all of his homework does extra credit but bombs a test, that's successful? Or are we saying that a kid that does all of his homework, does extra work, does well on his test, but then can't apply things to a real-world task, but gets a good grade? Are we saying that's successful? So this is where grades fall short. This is where grades fall short. The second reason that we obviously have grades is so we can report to colleges. Kids need grades to get a GPA. That GPA is, you know, a, a barometer for colleges to say who gets in and who doesn't. But how could colleges sit here and say that a GPA is important when the kids that are applying to those colleges come from vastly different grading systems? That's a big problem in my mind. The other issue that I have with grading, and, you know, again, shifting back to an issue here as opposed to the reasons why we grade, grading and a grade itself is an external motivator. Whether it's a positive motivator or it's a negative motivator, it's an external motivator. I'm a big advocate for building intrinsic motivation within my students. And it's a difficult thing to do, but I, I just want you to think, when you were in school, how often did you either think or set out loud when a teacher asked you to do something, is this graded? Well, if I ever have a student say that, I ask them, does it matter? And if they respond, yes, it does, I ask, why? Well, because I'm going to try harder if it's graded. This is a response that just shows how conditioned students are through their years of schooling to expect to expect an external reward for doing something that they should be doing in the first place. To be trying their best no matter what because it's the right thing to do. That's what intrinsic motivation is all about. You're doing something because you know the value of it. You know that it's going to make you better. And you know how I know I'm fighting an uphill battle in this? In this fight for intrinsic motivation? and making sure kids are trying to be the best versions of themselves all the time without providing them with an external motivator like an A on a stupid homework assignment or a practice activity. Because I can see 
their grades in other classes. I can see that teachers put grades on everything. You know, it, it, it's just bonkers to me that I hear other teachers being like, oh, it's not about the grade, it's about the learning. Uh, is it really? Because you're giving them a grade for every single piece of work that they're doing. You have hundreds of assignments in a semester that are in the grade book, and I have 20. You know how you get kids to be intrinsically motivated and to get them out of this mindset that they're only going to do the, their best if they know a grade's attached to it? Stop grading everything that they do. It's not that hard. They're going to soon figure out what your expectation is, that you expect them to be doing their best all the time when they step foot in your classroom. And hey, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's easy to build intrinsic motivation in students, but you have to start somewhere. And there's obviously growing pains and there's students that are pissed off at me because I'm not giving them a grade for them doing an incredible job on something. But there's incredible value in that for them, not only in the present, but in their future. You know, if I do an incredible job in a particular class period, do I expect my principal or my students or my students' parents to come up and give me a high five and give me a tip and say, hey, great job, pal. No, I don't. I do the best job that I can possibly do because I know it's the right thing to do. My students deserve the best that they can get out of me. And I think that the earlier students can learn and actually be taught about intrinsic motivation, the better. You know, I had a conversation with my middle schoolers a couple weeks ago, you know, about what the purpose of school is and you know, why are they even in school? And we talked about grades and then we talked about motivation. And I was being totally, totally honest with the students. I said, hey, your grades in middle school really don't matter at all. This is about as low stakes as school gets. And some of them were like, well, what do you mean? Well, what I mean is that if you get a bad grade now, like let's say you get a D in my science class, a college is not going to look at your middle school transcript and say, oh, Billy, you got a D. We're not letting you in here. There's not a lot of ramifications for getting bad grades or good grades. So then I asked them, what is your motivation? Why should you strive to be successful? And, you know, some of them said, eh, I'm going to be successful because I don't want my parents to yell at me. Okay, well, here and again, we get back to this idea of extrinsic motivation. Now, you getting in trouble with your parents, that's a negative external motivator. What we're going to try and build this school year is intrinsic motivation, where you are going to be the best version of yourself. Because deep down inside of you, you know it's the best thing to do. And it's going to make you feel good. And it's good to feel good. You should always want to feel good. And the more you do that, the easier it is to motivate yourself from within. And when those grades do start to matter, like in high school and in college, the grade's going to take care of itself. You're not going to need to know if something's being graded. Or you're not going to need to see a good grade to want to work harder. You're going to work hard all the time because, again, you know it's the right thing to do. And you know that being the best version of yourself is going to lead to really good, positive, successful things in your life. You know, 
And while this might be a, a, a little bit heavy to talk about with middle schoolers, I think it's super important because again, the earlier you can build intrinsic motivation in students, the better it is for them. And the more successful your class is actually gonna run. And the less they're gonna care, worry, or desire for a damn grade in your class. So, so far, I've shared my opinions. Maybe it's me complaining. I don't mean to complain on this podcast. I, I try and, and be as solutions-oriented as possible. So I, I'm going to offer some solutions to the issues that I have with grading and how they impact student motivation and a desire to really learn. I think the first thing and where this needs to start is moving away from these archaic traditional assessments that remain from these traditional didactic pedagogies, you know, the sit and get type stuff. You know, those assessments, again, are memory based. Why, why are we asking kids to remember facts and figures? We should be assessing students' ability to see and interact with the world and the people around them, you know, where they're accessing and they're critiquing and they're using resources at their disposal. You know, one of the things that I've done in, in my, my space science classes, I had students engage in a Socratic seminar around the Big Bang Theory. However controversial that might be, there's a lot of evidence for the Big Bang. But obviously some students have different beliefs and they don't buy the evidence that's there for the Big Bang. So we engaged in dialogue and every student brought an argument to the table for or against the Big Bang Theory. That's assessing a student's capacity to engage in critical issues and difficult topics. That's a true assessment. That's an assessment that relies less on students being able to memorize facts and figures, but to critically think and to create an argument and to engage in respectful and intellectual dialogue with their peers. And now some of you might be thinking, well, okay, yeah, nice assessment, but how are you going to grade that? <sighs> well, it's pretty simple. You grade on the knowledge that the students have. Did they bring forward credible information? Did they weave together a cohesive argument? Did they put effort into the work that they did? Did they engage responsibly with resources that they needed to present and document in their argument? Did they engage with their peers respectfully? Did they truly listen and acknowledge the information and the argument that their peers were bringing forward? I think particularly in our society today, that's a skill that's gone by the wayside, but that's how you assess an assessment as authentic and unique as that. You base it on the skills and yes, you want the knowledge and the information that they bring forward in their argument. You want it to be correct. But to me, it all goes back to the skills. And I tell students at the beginning of the year, hey, I'm in the business of building life skills in you. And if we learn some science along the way, great. And I don't think students really know what that means when I say it at the beginning of the year. But by the end of the year, they know what that means. And hopefully... Some of them are appreciative of the skills that they build in my classroom. 
So where does that leave us now for the grade that needs to get reported? The one that gets shot off the parents, the one that contributes to a GPA. You know, you have these great new authentic assessments. What about the actual grade? And this is where I get a little bit outlandish and maybe a little weird. This first idea, I know I'm, I can, there's no way that I'm the first person that's ever thought of this, but what if at the beginning of the year, you're just up front with your students and you say, I'm going to give you all A's right now. You know, with this, the, the traditional approach, we're, we're making demands of students and we're saying, hey, you're the best student, you're going to get an A, you're the worst student, you're going to get an F. Well, what if we flip that on its head and we said, all of you are getting A's. And I know all of you are going to get A's because I am going to trust you to be the best version of yourself, to do the best work that you can possibly do, and to succeed to the best of your ability. And I'm giving you this A because I'm showing you right now that I believe in each and every one of you. To me, doing something like this, this would throw the idea of getting a grade out the window and make student work more about how do I need to operate to be as successful as possible, to learn as much as possible, to create my own unique knowledge base and to build skills that are gonna benefit me for the rest of my life. I think it's something worth considering. Now, the other thing that you could do, and they actually do this in my doctoral program, is they use learning analytics where it's really not about a grade, the process and it's about your growth as the course progresses so for example my grade in the class that I'm in now is based on three categories it's based on knowledge it's based on focus and it's based on help so my knowledge analytics is based on the big works that I do throughout a semester it's based on the scores that I receive through peer reviews and my own self reviews the help analytics is based on the peer reviews that I do for others. It's based on the comments and the feedback that I leave um, to other people's updates or their comments on a particular admin post. The focus area comes in with your productivity and your effort. So how many comments are you leaving? How many updates are you actually doing? How many words are you including in the works that you do, in the comments you leave, in the updates you create? Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of coding and a lot of programming that goes into this idea of learning analytics and actually spitting out a number. And I'm definitely not smart enough to do that at the current time in my own classes. But when I think about it, it is a beautiful system for assessing students. It completely shifts from, hey, you get an A because you memorized all these facts and you knew how to plug these numbers into an equation and you were able to spell this word correctly. And it's more about effort and productivity. It's about recognizing growth and not just achievement. And I think that's the direction that education needs to go because we're living in a completely different world. And as cliche as this is, I mean, we're living in a completely different world today than we even were 10, 20 years ago. 
Is our educational system, is it keeping up? Are we doing enough for our students to make sure they're successful, not only in the present society that we live in, but in the future society that they're going to live in? So with all this being said, I know this all sounds very utopian. And I'll be the first to admit that I'm not even practicing what I preach all the time. I still use traditional assessments, and frankly, every teacher still uses traditional assessments. There is still a place for them, but we cannot solely rely on them. And the more we ask students to engage in these authentic assessments, the more buy-in we're going to have to drastically changing the way students are graded and the grades that students receive. That in turn is going to shift their mindset. It's going to shift their mindset from one that's used to these external motivators and it's going to shift them to a mindset that is intrinsically motivated. It's going to shift them to a mindset where it's less about the things that you know and it's more about the skills that you have. That is going to be important to them for the rest of their life. Hey everyone, hope you enjoyed the second episode. I'm going to leave with one parting thought. One of the things I'm trying to build in my students is the ability to not only seek out information, but to really analyze and critique the information that they are, that they are finding. And I think that that's a super important skill that we all need to really showcase, particularly at this point in time in the landscape of our, our country. You know, we have a massive election coming up and there's a lot of polarizing thoughts out there. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I think we all can say that there's probably truth to both sides that we're hearing. So my challenge would be for you to not trust one piece of information, to not trust one voice, to not trust one news channel. Expose yourself to many perspectives. Don't be afraid to engage in dialogue with those that don't share the beliefs that you do. That's how we pigeonhole ourselves. We live inside these bubbles and we don't get to see and really understand the perspectives of others. For change to truly happen, we need to be willing to listen with intent and to try and understand perspectives that are different from our own. We need to do this with respect. We need to do this with love. And we need to do this with a purpose to solve a problem. And maybe if the people that are leading our country were given more opportunity to do this when they were in school, maybe we wouldn't be in such a mess right now in our country. Maybe these guys would be willing to walk across the aisle and actually try and solve some problems as opposed to making bigger problems. So there's my challenge for you. I hope you all have a great week. Tune in next week for episode three. Take care.